So you can see that we finally have screens. Been waiting patiently and very grateful to have the new screens. And this is uh, called a short throw projector. Uh, we looked at uh, replacing the long throw projector. There, were, there was one burned out in the back and they're quite expensive and you get one screen and we got two for less. And uh, so I hope, uh, I'd love to hear what you think, whether you think this is a good thing, whether it helps you. So, um, and we are glad you're here. We're going to be in John chapter 1, verses 35 through 51 today on the Bridge Bible. If you pick one of those up when you come in, uh, the page number is 740. Henry Ford, the founder of the Ford Motor Company, made headlines in Detroit where he lived and where the big factory was located. He made headlines in Detroit newspapers when he bought a very large life insurance policy. You would think that might be private, but it was in the uh, newspapers. Now, Ford had an old friend who read about the news in the paper, and uh, he decided to ask Henry about this purchase because he had been in the insurance business all of his adult life, and Henry didn't come to him. So he wanted Henry uh, to answer why he bought the life, why he didn't just come to him and buy the insurance from him. And Henry just gave a quick, quick reply. He said, you never ask me. You never ask. That made me wonder, am I going to have friends when I get to heaven and when they're asked about, do they have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ? And they would say, no one ever asked me. Do I have friends that nobody has ever asked? God's method for spreading the good news about Jesus is people telling people. And that's what our passage in John's gospel, chapter 1, verses 35 through 51, is about today. So here's what's happened so far in John chapter 1, the first 18 verses. We call that the prologue or the introduction to the book. And in that section, John, the gospel writer who is the apostle John, I'm going to work hard at trying to keep the Johns clear for you, the writer. He tells what's going to be in the book in those 18 verses. He, he brings up the themes of the book in those first 18 verses. And then last week we began with kind of the first happening uh, in the way John records it. And he tells us about John the Baptist. And John the Baptist was the, another John, was that first person that introduced Jesus publicly. John had been given the role to go before God and prepare the way. And that was his ministry. And he had a very unusual way of doing that. He, was to, he went out into the desert outside of Jerusalem, the religious establishment, and he went out there to preach. You know, how do you get a crowd out into the desert? 
Well, it was a God thing. God stirred people's hearts for this curiosity about John to go out. And John's message was, repent, the kingdom of God is at hand. Pretty straightforward. He didn't, you know, gloss over anything or sugarcoat anything. Repent. Change your attitude about God and your, the way you're living. Just make sure you're right with God. He was preparing the way because he was preparing people's hearts so that when Jesus showed up on the scene, they were ready to hear. They were ready to follow. That was John's role. And Jesus would come to John and he would, he would seek baptism from John, which was truly humbling for, for John. And Jesus was John's cousin, biologically. They probably didn't spend a lot of time with each other growing up because they lived in different parts of the country. Maybe they saw each other occasionally when there were big events where they, families went to Jerusalem to a festival. But when Jesus came to be baptized, John recognized God sent his spirit on Jesus and John saw it and he knew this is God's Messiah. This is the anointed one. This is the promised one that the prophets spoke about. And John said, Behold the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. And that was really prophetic. The Lamb of God. Okay, here we go. Um, John chapter 1, I'm just going to start by reading the first portion of our passage John chapter 1, beginning at verse 35. The next day, John was there again with two of his disciples. That's John the Baptist. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. This is the next day. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. So they went and saw where he was staying. And they spent that day with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is, the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. That's the third John in chapter 1, by the way. Third person called John. You will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So let's jump in. We begin uh, one leader introducing his friends to Jesus. One leader. The leader is John, John the Baptist. He's actually a pretty significant leader. The opportunity in verse 35, the next day, it's the next day after the baptism of Jesus, John was there again with two of his disciples. These are John's disciples. They have followed him. He has trained them. They serve with him in this ministry of baptizing people when, uh, when, they, when they come out. Now, I just, I forgot, I was going to share the location. So let's look at the map right before that has, okay, here we go. So here's our location. Now think in terms of 
Uh, we have some cities marked out. Always find where Jerusalem is. It's on the south of Israel or the lower portion on our map. Judea is the name of the province that Jerusalem is in. If you go north, you see Nazareth, and that's where Jesus grew up, okay? That little dark area up there is the Sea of Galilee. It's just a lake, 13 miles long and about 8 miles wide at the widest point. Okay, over to the right at the bottom, you see Bethany beyond the Jordan. There are two Bethanies in John. There's Bethany where Lazarus was raised. That's just outside of Jerusalem. And then Bethany beyond the Jordan would be on the east side of the Sea of Galilee. We don't know for sure that that's exactly where Bethany beyond the Jordan was because it disappeared. And um, early historians know where it is, and people soon after aren't sure. There's a pretty good idea where Jesus was baptized, but where Bethany beyond the Jordan. We're going to see another map a little bit later, and I'll show you why. So, next day, John was with two of his disciples, and when Jesus, when he saw, when he saw Jesus passing by, John the, John the Baptist, he says, look, the Lamb of God that takes away the sin of the world. This is, he said it the day before. Now he's saying again the next day, Jesus is passing. Jesus is leaving the baptism area. And he points his disciples to Jesus. He has prepared them. They have been preparing the way. He's been a part of the, the, these disciples have been a part of John's ministry. They know what John's purpose is. And they want to know who, who John has per, been preparing the way for. And now John tells them the person. It's that one. He's the one. And then this unique thing. He's the Lamb of God. Probably an allusion to the practice of sacrificing lambs in the Old Testament on many different occasions with different purposes. Perhaps most significantly, it's an allusion to the Passover lamb that was instituted in Exodus 12 that would be a covering for the households for protection against the angel of death. This lamb would take away the sin of the world. John recognizes that this person will have a ministry of forgiving sin. Maybe he's thinking about Isaiah's prophecy in Isaiah 53, verse 7, and this is uh, 800 years before the birth of Christ, Isaiah 53. He was oppressed and afflicted, referring to this promised one, this Messiah person, yet he did not open his mouth, and he was led like a lamb to the slaughter. There's a metaphor here. This man was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shears is silent, so he didn't open his mouth. Jesus fulfilled this prophecy right before his crucifixion. When he was arrested and beaten and tortured, he was silent. And then he was led to his own crucifixion. And then in Isaiah, uh, verse 11, Isaiah 53, verse 11, he, after he has suffered, he will see the light of life. Suffering isn't going to be the end of him. And be satisfied by his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. 
Nobody has done that before. This is how Jesus, the Lamb of God, would take away the sin of the world. He would bear their iniquities. The Apostle Peter later writes about this in the first century when he writes in 1 Peter chapter 1, verses 18 through 20, he says, for, for you know that it was not with perishable things such as silver or gold that you were redeemed. It wasn't money that paid your price for your sin from that empty way of life handed down to you from your ancestors but with the precious blood of Christ, a lamb without blemish or defect. This is how the lamb of God took away the sin of the world. He was chosen before the creation of the world, but he was revealed in these last times for your sake. Peter is saying God had this plan before Genesis 1-1, before the creation of the world. And there had been time waiting and waiting for God's people. Now he was revealed. That's what Peter said. It's in your day to the first century audience that, that this plan was revealed. So now back to John chapter 1. We're going to verse 37. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. So when they hear that the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world... They're going to follow Jesus now. They're going to leave John. They're going to leave the ministry they were in, and they, they are going to begin to follow Jesus. Um, we have um, the encounter in verse 38. Turning around, Jesus saw them. So Jesus is walking. They're walking behind Jesus. They're actually literally following his steps. And uh, so Jesus uh, turns around. He says, what do you want? Now, that's not really an abrupt question. J Jesus is not uh, annoyed by this. Jesus wants them to clarify why they're following. Do they know why they want to follow him? Do, what do they understand? That's what Jesus is asking here. And... Um, they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? So um, when you think about this, where are you staying? That sounds like a dumb question, I think, right off the bat. I mean, what do you really want to know? You want to know where I'm, which hotel I'm in tonight? Well, this is a polite way for these men to ask for an appointment with Jesus. They, wanna, they want some time to talk. They, they want to hear his teaching. And they're just going to follow, if that's what it takes, and, and they're just going to hang out until Jesus wants to talk. And so th that's what they have in mind. They'd like to hear. They'd like to hang out a bit. And then the invitation comes right away in verse 39. He says, Come. And you will see, he just makes it simple. Come, and you'll get, you'll get your answers. Come, you will see. Uh, you will understand, but come. It's an invitation, personally. Come. So they went, 
And they saw where he was staying, and they spent that day with him, and it was about four in the afternoon. Why is the time important? Whoever is telling this story knows the details. So they followed Jesus to where he was staying. We don't know if it was a house or a campsite. And they get to hang out all day. They followed him. They got to his place. They hung out, probably shared some food together, maybe sat around a campfire. And they began a journey. Come and see. Come and see for yourself. That was the invitation. And that invitation is still good today for anyone to come and to see, to find out, and to get your answers. Um, James chapter 4 says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. That's a principle of the scriptures. Move toward God. Watch God move toward you. Um, think about the words of Jesus in Matthew chapter 7. Jesus said this. He said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Come and you will see. Ask. You'll get an answer. Seek. You'll get an answer. Keep pursuing. Keep knocking. You'll get an answer. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. So, then in Hebrews eleven six, the writer of Hebrews caught this very concept as well. And uh, I uh, caught that concept in an unusual way, before I was a Christ follower, uh, and I was considering the claims of Christ, and I was asking about faith, and I was troubled with what faith is, and I said, what is faith? And I had a six-year-old daughter named Tina in the corner, and she said, and Dad, without faith, it's, possible to it's impossible to please God. I had actually helped her memorize that verse when she was six. Um... I was doing it because it was a school assignment, and I was just helping her with schoolwork. I wasn't really interested in about what it said. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. So this faith is required, this trust in what God is doing, what God is saying. Because anyone who comes to him, come and see, you must believe that he exists, but that's not it just believing that he exists. There are a lot of Americans who say, well, I believe in God. And they mean, I believe that he exists. But that he is a, he rewards those. He answers people who come to Jesus. When they pursue him, they will see. They will understand. They will get answers. So there's the invitation to come and see. And that's for every person in this room. Where, if you are a Christ follower, come and see. Come closer to Christ and see. If you're not yet a Christ follower, 
Come. Move toward him. He will answer. He will. God wants to show himself to us. Now, one of the amazing things about um, John the Baptist here, John was a great man. Uh, His role was prophesied in the Old Testament. Later, Jesus will say, he's the greatest man of all. No one like John. But John, when, when when Jesus came, he pointed his own team members to Jesus, and, and they walked away. And John, let them, he humbly let them go. He wasn't competitive. He wasn't possessive like some leaders are. He didn't try to convince them to stay. He didn't say, if you stay with me, we're going to do this. He was blessed to send his own crew off to a different ministry. Okay, in verses 40 through 42, one family member introduces another family member. So we had a leader uh, introduce his own team member to Jesus. Now uh, we have one family member introducing another family member to Jesus. And so the situation changes uh, in verses 40 and 41. We have the opportunity. Um, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. So one of the disciples now, one of John's disciples is named Andrew, and he is Simon Peter's brother. We don't know Simon Peter yet, do we? But everybody who read the Gospel of John in the first century knew who Simon Peter was. They didn't know so much about Andrew, but everybody knew about Peter. So that's why John uses the name Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. That Andrew was one of the two who heard what John had said and who had followed Jesus. So now we know that we got one of the disciples by name. Now, one of the questions is, who's the other disciple? He's not going to be named at all. But there was another disciple. One of John's disciples became a follower of Jesus, and he's not named. But he's right here. Who is it? Some of you know. It's John, the writer. He's the quiet one in the whole book. He's very active in the book. Without, he's the only one without a name. He's the disciple that Jesus loved. I think he loved them all, but John wanted everybody to know that he loved John. <laughs> and so the first thing, verse 41, that Andrew did was to find his brother Simon. This is going to be the Simon Peter. And tell him, we have found the Messiah. He's excited. He is the Christ, the anointed one. He couldn't wait to tell his brother. Right away, he did it. Andrew is convinced that Jesus is that one, that promised one from the Old Testament scriptures, the one that John had talked about. He is convinced now that he is the one who would deliver God's people in the future, and he would establish his own kingdom on earth because he was going to be a great king. Then we have the encounter in verse 42. Andrew uh, didn't mess around, and he brought him to Jesus. I don't know how he did it. I don't know if he just took him by the hand, walked him over to Jesus, or if he drug him over. But Andrew got him there. Andrew brought his brother 
Simon to Jesus. And Simon is going to have to determine for himself what he wants to do. He's going to have to choose. With Andrew and Simon now standing before Jesus, Jesus looked at him, Simon, and said, You are Simon, son of John. That was, and you will be called Cephas, which when translated is Peter. So, a lot, of, a lot going on here. You're Simon, you're son of John, or son of Jonas. It could be, some translations call him Simon Bar-Jonas, which would be Simon, son of Jonas. In its modern English, we would say Simon, son of John. Andrew and Simon's dad was named John, not any of the previous mentioned Johns. It was a common name. So Simon was given a new name. Jesus gave Simon a new name, Cephas. That's, that's an Aramaic word. That's the language spoken in the first century Israel. You, Simon, now you're going to be called Cephas. And um, he didn't name him. And it, Cephas means rock or stone. And in Greek, it's Petros or Peter. So this is where Peter gets his name right here. Jesus said, you're going to be called Rock, Rocky. It's about his character. Now, it's not because Simon was already that person. He was not. Simon waffled a lot. Simon was up and down. He was, he was emotional. He, he ex got excited easily. He, he did some great things, and he did some foolish, dumb things, embarrassing things embarrassed himself on many occasions in front of Jesus. But that's not who Simon's going to be. Jesus is going to spend three years with him and disciple him. But even then, when we get to the time of the crucifixion, Peter is still in a big learning mode. But he will become the rock. He will become that solid leader for the church, but he's not there yet. It's going to, it's who he's becoming. You have a new identity too, don't you? You're not who you're going to be. And it's all of us just continuing to walk with Jesus one day at a time as he forms us into his family. So we really look and act like children of God. In the last section now, in verses of 43 through 51, we see one friend introduces another friend because friends introduce their friends to Jesus. Um, so the invitation is from Jesus this time in verse 43. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. And let's, what was that? Let's, let's, uh, there we go. Here's the map. So this is uh, like the map we saw, but on the, down at the bottom on the east side of the Jordan River, Bethany beyond the Jordan, that's one of the possible sites. About 50% of commentators, I would say, hold to this is where the baptism was. What is that?
My apologies. <laughs> so if you go up straight north along the Jordan River, on the, um, on the right side is another possible spot for Bethany beyond the Jordan. That, a lot of good scholars think that's where it was roughly. So whatever happens, Jesus is going to leave, and he's headed, he's, boy, he's headed for Galilee. Galilee, you see the Sea of Galilee, that little pond up there. So Galilee, when you talk about the location of Galilee as a province, it's that area around the sea. This is going to become a very important part of Jesus' ministry in the future. Um, this is where he's going to, where, where crowds are going to follow him. People are going to come up from Jerusalem to hear him. And he's just going to stay up there most of his ministry. Um, so this is going to become an important area. And you see at the top of the Sea of Galilee is a city called Capernaum. That will become Jesus' headquarters. He will, he will go there, and, and, and what you'll find is he will um, stay there for a while, and then he will go out and do ministry and travel. And then he comes back to Capernaum. That's where Andrew and Peter and James and John have their place in their fishing business headquarters. So the next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee, finding Philip. He said to him, follow me. So this is a direct invitation from Jesus to another person, Philip. First time we hear Philip. Um, and so Jesus invites him to join the others and to follow him. Jesus invites him to come and see. You will also see. You will understand. Just come with me. Jesus still invites people today to come. Matthew 11, verse 28. Later in his ministry, he will say, Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened. I will give you rest. Come. See if this is not true. Come to him. Seek him. See if this is not true. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. First century agriculture picture of two oxen yoked together, pulling together. And Jesus is saying, take my yoke. Let me pull with you. Let me carry your burden. It's easy in comparison. And so come and see. In John 10, 10, Jesus describes why he came into this world. He says, I have come that they might have life, meaning those who come to him, they might have life and have it to the full. Now he's talking about eternal life. He's talking about a new spiritual birth, but he's talking about life right now as well, that they would have it to the full. They would have it to the richest extent, not the way the world gives or views what a full life would be. It's the way God designed life and the way 
what God intends for a full life to be. And it's going to be a whole lot about the inner condition of your heart and your soul. Because that is what impacts how we live. In verses 44 and 45, we have the tell-a-friend method. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida, another town. It's, up, it's way up on the top side and north side of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, it's a fishing village. The name of the town means fishing house. All of the guys in this group will become part of the twelve. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law. We don't know much about Nathanael, but he's Philip's friend. Some thinks he's going to have his, a different name later and be one of the 12 disciples. We just don't know enough. Uh, Philip had to tell his friend, we have found the one, the promised one, that one that the Old Testament scriptures talked about. Um, we have found the one that Moses wrote about. Deuteronomy 18, we looked at that last week. God would raise up a prophet like Moses. God would raise up the prophet like Moses. Not a prophet, but the spokesman for God. The ultimate representative for God. And this is the one that Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote. The prophets wrote about the promised one and God's people waited and God's people waited and God's people waited. Prophets like Isaiah and Daniel and Micah and Malachi and Haggai and Zechariah wrote about this promised one and God's people just kept waiting. And Philip is telling Nathaniel, we have found the one. And then he says, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Now, if you're thinking about this, that is not a theological statement. It's a descriptor. Jesus was the son of Joseph. Certainly he was legally. Jesus was from Joseph's household but biologically, Joseph was not the father. This was not intended to be a theological statement. It just identifies the family that Jesus came from, the one that lives in Nazareth. And, of course, that's going to create a problem here for um, Nathaniel. Uh, and we see the invitation to come and see in verse 46. Nathaniel says, Nazareth, can any good thing from, come from there? Now, Nazareth was a small town, maybe a, what we would say a kind of a village. And it was in the mountains. And it's, you know, it's not a thriving metropolis in any way. And as Nathaniel thinks about this and he reflects, he said, I don't think there are any prophecies about Nazareth in the Bible. And he's right. He's right. What does Philip do? He doesn't try to prove him wrong. He just says, come and see. Come and see. And so Philip invites fam, uh, he, he invites Nathaniel. It was Jesus who invited Andrew and Peter 
Come and see. Do it the same way. Come and see for yourself. Watch and you will see. Listen and you will hear. Seek and you will find. Nathaniel, just come and see for yourself. It's your choice. And then we have the encounter with Jesus. And this is the last section of our passage in verses 47 through 51. And so Jesus is going to meet a new friend, verse 47. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, now you're going to pay attention to this. He said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. Jesus identifies something about Nathanael's character. Truly an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. And, and Jesus is revealing what he knows about Nathanael already. Jesus is just letting on that he's more than meets the eye. That he has ability beyond normal human understanding. That he knows something very personal about Nathanael. Verse 48, how do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. That surprised Nathanael. How does he know me? Um, and then Jesus shows his hand here. He saw him earlier under the fig tree, even before he was invited by Philip. And Jesus just displays a little bit of supernatural knowledge about what he knows about Nathaniel. Now, there's a lot going on right here because there's this idiom in the first century by the rabbis when this terminology un being under the fig tree was a way that studying in a private spot and reflecting on the Old Testament scriptures was sometimes just said under the being under the fig tree. And so it could be literally or it could be metaphorically that um, Jesus is referring to Nathaniel being under the fig tree. But Nathaniel knows that Jesus knows what was going on. Um, then we see in verse 49, because this is having a big impact. It's like saying, Nathaniel, you were having your quiet time. I saw you then. I know what was going on. And then uh, we see a response of faith in verse 49. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. Whatever happens right here is Nathaniel gets it. Uh, he has had enough exposure to Jesus to know he is not just another guy. He must be the one that he knows these things. And he's just, he's getting the vibe from his, his other friends. And, and he just responds intuitively in the presence of Jesus. And he declares to Jesus that he understands, Jesus, you are the son of God. Jesus, you are the coming king of Israel, the anointed one. Now, I don't think Nathaniel understood all that that meant. But he knows that there's one coming that fits this description, and he thinks it's Jesus. And then we have a promise in verses 50 and 51. Jesus said, you believe, Nathaniel, because I told you 
when I saw you under the fig tree. And then he says, here's a promise and here's a prediction. You will see greater things than that. So Jesus was revealing himself to Nathanael. And that spurred on the belief that Nathanael responded with. It was just, he knows who I am. And for Nathanael, that was enough. It, it spurred on his faith. And Jesus said, Nathanael, you're going to see greater things. And Nathanael did. Nathanael got to see people who were healed by Jesus. Nathaniel got to see people who were raised from the dead. Nathaniel got to see the resurrection of Jesus. And one day, Nathaniel will see firsthand the kingdom of God come to earth where God's will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. He would indeed see greater things to come. He will see people's lives changed when they follow Jesus. In verse uh, 51, last verse, he then added, very truly, I tell you, this is Jesus, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and de descending on the Son of Man. Now, this is really going to go deep for Nathaniel. Why? Jesus is revealing to Nathaniel what he was reflecting on under the fig tree. And it's likely Genesis chapter 28, verse 12. Jacob having a dream and a ladder between heaven and earth and angels descending and ascending the Lord at the top and the uh, access to heaven is open and God's will is being carried out. And Jacob saw that. Under the fig tree, Nathaniel was thinking about this passage. Jesus knew it. And he says, you're going to see greater things than this. Heaven will open and the angels of God will ascend and descend on the Son of Man. And that was the term that Jesus most often used of himself. It's the first time we see it in the, in the book of John. His identi identification with humanity and um, Nathaniel sees, this really draws Nathaniel in. Jesus knows so much about his life. He even knows what he is thinking about. So Jesus affirms Nathaniel and um, Nathaniel had a chance because someone invited him to meet Jesus. Um, do you know that 80, there's a study that came out in, in uh, 2021 that 82% of non-church people have said they would go to church if somebody invited them. And that study also showed that only 2% of Christians actually invite others. So the question for us is, who in your life could you invite?
Invite to coffee. Invite out to dinner. Invite over for a game night. Who could you invite to come to youth group or to go to crew or to go to navigators or to go to IV? Who could you invite? Who could you invite to come to church sometime as your guest? Sometimes people just need an invitation. Sometimes people just need to be asked because God's method is people telling people. Let's stand together and let's pray. Gracious God, we just pause before you. We thank you for the word of God. We thank you for John's gospel and the things that we are learning together. God, cause us to be mindful about the mission you've given us to help people connect with God and then to develop them into fully devoted followers of Jesus. May we continue to grow as fully devoted followers of Jesus, each of us, and take a step toward you, a step toward growth, a step toward practicing faith to trust you. And God, what people in our lives would you show us today that we could reach out to, to connect with for a spiritual conversation. Guide our steps. May you continue to build your church. For Jesus' sake, amen.